Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. morning. Special welcome to guests. We're glad you're here. We hope you'll come back next week. I'm Clark Poff. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in this study on the book of James. And so this morning, I just want to dive right in. Uh, a few years ago, I, I had surgery. And, uh, you know, after the day of surgery, I was in recovery for a couple of days in the hospital. And, um, you know, I remember one morning waking up about the time the shift change had comes in the nursing staff, you know. And I remember, you know, hitting the little button to raise the chair up. And, and a nurse came in that I'd never met. She came in to take my vitals, you know, my temp, uh, my pulse, my blood pressure. And, uh, you, know, um, you know, we chatted a little bit and, and, and then she walked away. And, um, you, you know, there was this awkward moment for me because, um, uh, you know, my nose said, wow, she needs to use deodorant. And, it, you know, it, it, was, it was like, ugh. And, um, um, <laughs> you know, as the day went, uh, as the morning went on, every time she came in to check my vitals, it's like, whoa, should I tell her? Um, you know, this is my first experience. So, you know, about the end of the morning, Cynthia came in to sit with me and the nurse came in, checked my vitals again. And I said, Cynthia, I said, wow, that nurse really needs some deodorant. And Cynthia looked at me and she goes, it's you, you stink. You haven't had a bath in three days. You know, you know, and isn't that the way it works? It's not my problem. It's somebody else's problem. You know, there I was sitting in my own BO and I couldn't recognize that it was not the nurse, but it was me. But that's sort of the way we function. You know, we're, we're self-centered. We don't, we, don't, we don't realize that sometimes we stink and we need to do something about it. You know, and the reality is, you know, when it comes to that self-centered nature that we have, you know, Scripture would really say it's a sin nature. Now, if you push back on that idea that you have a sin nature, uh, you've already illustrated the fact that you're a little self-centered because time and time and time again, uh, the Word of God tells us that we're sinners um, that uh, all of us have sinned and have gone astray. And in fact, the, uh, uh, in the book of John, the, in the first letter that John, one of the apostles of Jesus, wrote, this is what he said. If we say we have not sinned, we're fooling ourselves and the truth isn't in our hearts. So if we don't admit that we're sinners, we're, we're not being truthful to God or to ourselves or to the rest of the world. But this isn't new. The prophet Jeremiah knew this. He said this, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. So there's this idea that, that we understand as human beings that we're sinners. But listen, we should be grateful because God has made it clear to us that he knows that we're self-centered, that we have a sin nature. And so he's given us his word and he's poured the Holy Spirit into us. And both of those things can combine to teach us about ourselves and help us move from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. 
This morning, we're going to look at some scriptures from the book of James in the fourth chapter. And in these, we're going to look at this whole idea of being me-focused and really looking at some things where we really focus on ourselves and look at what James says from the Word of God that we can do to deal with that. And so the first thing that we're going to look at this is when we pray, we need to pray with the right motives. Okay, so let's look at what it says. Chapter four, verse one through three. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. So there's a lot going on there. So let's just address some of the things that you saw there. You know, when James says the words quarrels and fights, uh, recognize that those words are plural. So what he's saying is that this is a chronic issue. And, And big picture here, if we go back to the first chapter of the book of James, Who's he writing to? He's writing to the churches scattered throughout the known world. So what is he saying? He's saying to followers of Christ, you're quarreling and fighting among yourselves. Now, it's interesting. He says it's because of these desires. Remember, he says, don't they come from the evil desires within you? The word for desires is related to a word in English, hedonism, to self-seeking of pleasure. And so he's basically saying, you know, these quarrels, these fights deal from your hedonistic view, from your, your desire to have personal pleasures. It's all about you. It's self-centeredness. It's, it's looking out for number one. And, and so he, he goes from that and he says, Then you scheme to kill uh, to get what you don't have. Now, is he really talking about killing people? No, that wasn't going on in the body of Christ. But what he's doing is he's remembering what his half-brother Jesus taught about. Listen, he says, uh, you know, if uh, you are angry at someone, it's the same as being a murderer. All right. And so he's saying, listen, he's, he's talking in figurative, but if you're scheming against one another, if you're fighting and quarreling against one, one another, you're basically killing them to get what you want, your self-centered things that you desire in your life. And he's saying this is not only uh, uh, offensive to the other people, it's offensive to God, all right? And this is what he says. This self-centered kind, uh, type of living it stifles our prayers. It stifles our prayers because we're, we're praying for what we want rather than what God wants. I wonder how many people prayed to win that $1.6 billion lottery last week. All right. You know, uh, just astronomical odds. But I, but I, I have a hunch some people did. Um, my, my hunch is uh, uh, that, um, that there were tons of people who did that. But here's the big idea. The big idea is that we need to align our will with God's will. We need to make sure that that what we want is what God wants. So we have to ask ourselves, are we praying with the right motive? Are we praying with God's will in mind or with our will in mind? Now, you know, when we pray... uh, If we're honest, I think many of us pray with the preconceived answer in mind. I mean, 
don't we do that? You know, um, and sometimes we even tell God what he should do, you know, uh, how this dilemma should work out. And, um, you know, it's very possible that when we do that, our prayers are aligning with uh, our will is aligning with God's will. But it's also very possible that we're trying to make God fit in our box and trying to make him do what we want to do when he's got a view and a plan that far exceeds what we can understand. You know, Scripture tells us that our ways are not his ways. Uh, so we need to understand that when we pray, we need to pray with the right motive. We need to pray with God's will in mind instead of our will in mind. And let's just remember that Jesus, the Son of God, prayed that same way. He said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. So you and I need to, to pray with the right motive. Instead of being me-focused, me-centered, self-centered, self-focused, we need to pray with the focus of God in mind. So pray with the right motive. Here's the second thing we need to do, as, as James tells us. We need to embrace the right attitude. So let's look at what he says in verses 4 through 6. He starts off pretty harsh. He goes, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So James is harshly addressing these brothers and sisters in Christ. He's calling them adulterers. Now, big picture, this is not a new concept because you go back to the, to the prophets and they accused Israel of being adulterous, uh, basically of having an affair with false gods and false religions, turning their hearts, their devotion away from God Almighty and to other things and other gods. And that's what James is saying here. And this time he's not necessarily saying it's idolatry of things out in the world necessarily, but sometimes it's self-idolatry as, as well as with the world. Because he says something. He, he, he says, you know, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And then he says it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. James is describing that this friendship with the world is a deliberate choice to follow our culture rather than God. To get swept along with the latest thing, the latest philosophy, the latest attitude, the ways and values of our world rather than focusing on God. And basically he's saying, listen, this is, this is an act of, of spiritual defiance and rebellion. Uh, it's, it's an act of spiritual adultery, giving your heart to the world rather than giving it to God. And basically saying, listen, you can't be loyal to both. You can't be friends with both. You've got to be a friend of God and not a friend of the world. And, and going back to John the Apostle, John the Apostle understood this, and he wrote again these words from this first letter. He said this, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
The lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He nails it. You know, uh, there's the lust of the flesh, the the physical cravings, you know, that, that all of us have at some point. But it's not just having it, it's focusing on it. And then he goes, it's the lust of the eyes, seeing things and wanting them and, and, and really, again, taking our focus off God. But then he even talks about this. He calls it the pride of life. In other words, saying, you know what? I don't need God. I can do this. I got this all. I'm under control. I don't need a heavenly father. You know, and he, he's saying, listen, you've got to embrace the right attitude. That's what James is saying, and it really matches what the apostle James, excuse me, that's what John said. This matches right up with what James says. And and then he talks about the spirit, that a spirit's been placed inside of us. And that's right. When you came to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into your life to be your teacher, to be your guide, to be your comforter. But the Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit doesn't turn you into a robot and say, now you're going to do this. If you open your heart and your mind to what the Spirit wants you to do in following God, you'll experience those nudges. Some of you may be used to calling that your conscience, but it's not your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit nudging you and guiding you and revealing things to you, comforting you, teaching you, guiding you to be a follower of God and not a follower of the world. But as I've said many times before, you can hold the Holy Spirit at bay because God's given us that choice. We've been given the freedom to choose to be faithful to the Spirit of God that He's put inside of us, to be faithful to Him, or to reject it. So He gives us that opportunity. So He says, listen, I've poured the Spirit in you, and you can follow the Spirit and humbly do your part to be a follower of God. Because here's ultimately what he's saying. I want you to be loyal. I want you to be faithful, not adulterous. I want you to know me. And so I've given you what you need to do this. It's that grace piece that he talks about. So we're supposed to um, embrace the right attitude. We're supposed to have the right motive. But but James continues. Uh, He goes on and says, Humble yourself before God. And now he really gets, he sort of drills in laser-like at our lives. And this is what he says. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. He's saying this. If you've been living a self-centered life and you want to follow God, this is going to demand that you repent. So he he goes into this whole idea that... um, we have to humble ourselves, okay? We, we need to resist the devil who continues to tempt us to follow the ways of the world, to follow the culture. And, and then he gets really honest and says, listen, you need to come close to God. And then God will become close to you. Now, it's not like God has left you. It's that you have been unfaithful and you left God. 
He's been there. And as you come close to him, you'll discover that he's always close, that he is there. And you'll recognize that. But then he comes, zeroes in on what we need to do. And he uses this idea of getting clean. Wash your hands, you sinners. He says, purify your hearts. Because he says, listen, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So he's saying, listen, this is the act of, of spiritual purification that we're taught about. It's the act of repentance. It's the idea that we need to come clean. And it's not the act of physically having to wash our hands, but it's the act of confessing our sins. And then repenting and say, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to not do this. I'm going to seek to not do this anymore. It's the idea of repenting. I always think of repenting as making a U-turn, all right? You know, you're on a highway, you're, you're headed, uh, you're following after God, and there's a, uh, there's a fork in the road, and you take the right fork, which is you, your desires, the world desires, and you realize, wait, I've made a mistake. So you make a U-turn, and you get back on the highway that's following God. He's really drilling down in what we need to do. But, but he doesn't let up. James doesn't let up. He doesn't relent. Look at what he then says in, in verse 9. He says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He's saying, listen. You need, you need to grieve how you've wounded God, how you've hurt God, how you've been adulterous to God. You need to cry tears that demonstrate you're sorry and that you experience this deep grief. And recognize you need to, to stop laughing about your, your behavior and, and grieve it and be sad. And even experience the gloominess of that grief. And then he says... He's, he always brings you hope. He says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he'll lift you up in honor. You know, it's been fun during this series to have conversations about what's going on in people's lives. And some of you have talked to me. Some of you have sent me emails or texts and, and continue to do that because that just encourages me. But, but somebody uh, wrote something this week, and, and she gave me permission to share it. Uh, and she said, you know, I was reading and praying this morning about verse 9, and it really stood out to me. She said, I saw that even beyond the last thought in my prayers for people and myself, whether it's over conflict or even desiring good, godly things, I am often more concerned with what I see someone is being denied of instead of what God is being denied of. And then she went on. She said, I need to grieve and I need to mourn and I need to wail for that which God has lost or is denied when I or other people disobey him in any way. What a profound insight. You know, our, our disobedience grieves God, and we need to own that. You know, we're, we're cheating on God when we follow the ways of the world. So we need to confess that. We need to repent, and we need to humble ourselves before God. And then there's that hope. Remember, when we humble ourselves before God, he'll lift us up. James doesn't let his foot off the accelerator. He keeps pressing it down. So let's go and see what he says next. He says, he says, 
He's, now he moves from talking about a relationship with God to a relationship with one another. And he says, we need to honor one another. Let's look at what he says. He says, don't speak evil against each other, my dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Self-centered living produces judgment and slander. It it really uh, exposes our pride. Uh, One scholar has written this. He says, uh, a Christian who slanders others, who judges others, must face two charges. Here's the first charge. One who practices slander speaks against the law of love. Christians are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. So the slanderous Christian fails to do this, to keep the law of love. But then he goes on and he says, listen, second, the one who practices slander also judges God's law. With a fault-finding attitude, we set ourselves up as a judge. We neglect God's law, thus declaring that it's bad, that it's a bad law, and that it's, uh, it should be removed. God calls his followers to keep the law, to not sit in judgment on it. When we slander our neighbors, we show our opposition to the law of love, and we imply that we are exempt from observing it. We're supposed to honor one another. We're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. And we know, I always say this, we know how to love ourselves. So we need to love others the way we love ourselves. Now, if you haven't noticed, it's a prime insult and slander season, isn't it? You know, just turn on the news and you'll see the political commercials and everybody's insulting everybody and everybody's slandering everybody. And I don't know about you, but I about had enough of it. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Um, election years seem to bring out all the slander and all the insults. And unfortunately, Christians participate in it too. We need to own our own sin. So when we do speak slanderously and insulting, giving insults to others, we're speaking against the law of Christ, of Christ's love. And we're judging it as if we could judge it. So let's think about that. In the coming days, many of us are going to be tempted to slander and to insult others of, of different political persuasions than the ones we hold. And it's good for us to remember that there is no Christian party. All right? Um, God isn't looking for followers of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Green Party or whatever party it is. God is looking for Christ followers. And he wants us to live out the law of love that he's given us. So he's looking for us to honor him by what we say and what we do and what we don't say and what we don't do. Uh, some of you, if you follow me on, on Facebook, you, you may have noticed yesterday I posted something, and I just want to share it with you um, because 
I was profoundly affected by this week. And this is what I wrote. Um, I wrote these words. In a week of pipe bomb fear and today another all true frequent senseless act of violence, this time at a synagogue in Pittsburgh, I said, call me naive or optimistic, but if but I can't help but wonder what would happen if followers of Christ loved all people like Jesus does and did whatever it takes to dial down the anger and the vitriol in this nation. Yeah, think that one through. Listen, I want to say something to you. If you have a friend who's Jewish, I want you to reach out to them this week and tell them that you're sorry and that you're praying for them. I want you to live out the love of Christ to them. But here's what I also want you to realize, that each one of us has a circle of influence. And if the people, if we love the people in our circle of influence like Jesus does, then, and share with the Christ followers in our, secret, in our circle of influence that they should love the people in their circle of influence like Jesus does, and then that those Christ followers are here that they should love the people in their circle of influence like Jesus does. Do you see what's going to happen? It's going to create a ripple effect. Uh, and it's going to create a ripple effect where the body of Christ will begin to influence families and neighborhoods and communities and schools and places of business and towns and cities and states and this nation and this world. You know, Coming to church doesn't make us a Christian. Following Jesus makes us a Christian. And he called us to be salt and light in the world. And if you don't know the significance of that, salt in Jesus' day was a preservative, okay? And so what are we supposed to preserve the world from? From sin. And how do we do that? We love them like Jesus so that we can tell them about Jesus, and light, Jesus is the light of the world. And he says that we are the light of the world and we're called to shine his light into the dark places in the world. And if we do that, not only will the anger and the vitriol begin to be dialed down, but, but people who may be so angry that they would commit acts of violence may experience love and care and compassion that will prohibit them from doing that. The reality is the body of Christ needs to take responsibility for being the body of Christ, all right? So let me just summarize what we've seen this morning from God's Word. And then, like we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, we're going to spend some, some time praying about that. But four things. Check your motives. Check your motives about how you pray and what you pray for. Are you praying for God's will or your will? Second, make sure you are loyal to God above all others. All right? Check your attitude and make sure that it's God-honoring. Third, humble yourself and make sure... <clears throat> that you are in good standing with God. Own your sin and confess it and repent and seek to live a God-honoring life. And then fourth, honor one another. You know, when the body of Christ doesn't honor one another within the body of Christ, 
the whole world looks at that and say, why would I want to be a follower of Jesus? So we need to honor one another. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to spend some time talking about this. Because if you're like me, when I read God's Word and study God's Word and hear it preached, God brings some stuff up. And the reality is, for me and myself, I need to practice this because I'm a follower of Jesus, not because I heard it. And all of us need to. And we need to see how it needs to apply into our lives and our circle of influence. So we're just going to spend some time in, in quiet. So I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and just talk to God during this time. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. Lord, we confess that we have turned away from you and followed ourselves or, or the ways of this world, and, and we know that that's wrong and that's broken your heart, and our heart breaks because we've broken your heart. And Father, we desire to be your sons and daughters who um, not are just forgiven and, and who are not just um, attenders of worship services, but who live it out, our faith out in the community, in our families, at home, in the neighborhood, at school, at work, in the town, wherever we are. Lord, help us do that. Lord, help us be faithful to you. Help us to check our motives about how we pray. Help us to be loyal to you above all others. Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you, and we want to honor one another. So I pray that you would help us do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.